It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 707 at News Talk WSB, 707 up here in Gwinnett County at the Infinite Energy Center where we're broadcasting live for the 20th annual North Atlanta Home Show. If you need some details on show hours and who's going to be here, who's speaking at the reliable heating and air stage during the day, go to atlantahomeshow.com. And don't forget our deal. If you get here between now and 9 o'clock and know that the password is reliable, you get into this show for free and to the whole home show for free when the doors open at 10 o'clock. 404-872-0750 is the number on Lawn and Garden. If you have a garden question or you can text you, Twitter me, tweet me, still never know what to do. If you follow me on Twitter, you can use the hashtag AskWalter. And Ashley will get that Twitter and will read it out for us. Kathy is out in some part of Atlanta, Georgia. And let's see, where's my little screen thing here? Here it goes. Kathy's on the air with us right now. Hey, Kathy, good morning. Morning, Walter. How can we help? We've got a lot of English ivy that's coming in from two different neighbors. And for years I have sprayed it and I've cut it back from the trees. And now we've had a whole bunch of more trees taken out just to try to open up the woods. And I'm now thinking, why not just give up the battle against the English ivy and let that be a ground cover that controls the weeds? Is that a bad idea? Yes. <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you from multiple angles why it's a bad idea. One is one that we really don't talk much about, but is certainly true, and that is English ivy, because of the humidity layer that it creates, I think, close to the ground. Within, you know, 12 inches of the ground, the English ivy leaves are always there. There's always little hidey places for water to collect. I am convinced that English ivy is a great, wonderful breeding place for mosquitoes. I have a lot of mosquitoes at my house, and I believe it comes from that big, huge patch of English ivy behind my house. That's number one. Number two, if you allow English ivy to grow unchecked, what you're basically doing is making a desert because you have one thing growing there like in a desert you have sand in the ocean you have salt water but in the english ivy desert native plants don't have a chance to grow ferns don't have a chance to grow shrubs don't have a chance to grow nothing grows except the english ivy that climbs over the top of everything and then climbs up your trees and we know that's not a good idea so I would much, much, much rather you not let English ivy be an untrammeled ground cover in the back. Okay, what do you recommend then to control weeds? Because with having all these trees taken out, I'm concerned that we're going to have a lot of weeds. And I already have put yeah. down a fair amount of preen. I, I think you're well, you're right to be concerned. Are we talking about how many square feet are we talking then, Kathy? Thousand square feet? Probably, a, you know, a third of an acre because it's our whole back uh, area, our yard area. You know what I would do is very slowly start converting that into a native area. And, you, I mean, this is not something that you have to do in a day or a year or even four years. Just start planting native plants back there, native azaleas, native um, uh, ground covers of green and gold and some ferns and some things that can cover the ground pretty quickly and shade areas where weeds would normally grow. Let these native plants shade them out a little bit. Um, if you have any kind of access to a big truck and the 
tree companies can come back there and put a big load of wood chips back there. Wood chips are the bomb. They are fabulous for making soil softer, better, easier to grow, and less weeds grow through it as well. And so wood chips, if you can get those back, back there in your woods, that does a great job covering the ground without encouraging bad things to happen like English ivy and non-native exotic plants. But I understand your, well, your question, Kathy. You don't want to just leave it bare. you got weeds and brambles and poison ivy and stuff that you do not want to grow back there. Um, you know already how to use, I'm sure, Roundup and the sprays. And so you can be like me and just go out in the back about once, a, once every two months, I guess. And I spray the ivy around the trees. I spray the ivy on the fence line. I get rid of the poison ivy that I see back there. And it's just a regular part of my maintenance calendar is to get the weeds under control with a little bit of Roundup. Okay, and which, just regular... Uh, Roundup glyphosate stuff for that, yeah, or should yeah. I use a brush thing? I use the brand name stuff, uh, not the not the brand name, the generic stuff. You can buy generic stuff from uh, both uh, Pike and from the big box stores as well. It doesn't have to say Roundup on the uh, bottle, and I use just the straight glyphosate, not the brush mixture with the glyphosate. I think it does fine without it. Okay. All right. Oh, I, I know so that much. this is not something you can answer in just one year, as I said, but start your planning now. And in five years, Kathy, you'll look in the back where all those uh, trees are, where they were taken out, and where it used to be all English ivy, and think, man, that is really pretty. It blooms, and it has birds, and it has all sorts of wildlife growing back there. It's just going to be so much better than having nothing but English ivy growing under the trees. Thanks for calling, Kathy. 404-872-0750 is the number. We've got Isaac joining us. And, Isaac, you are on News Talk WSB. Hey, good morning. Hello. Um, good morning, Mr. Otard. This is Isaac. Yes, sir. And I'm from Clarkston, Georgia. Oh, the most diverse square mile yeah. in America. Clarkston is a, is a great city, Isaac. I'm proud of you for living there and proud of the people who do live in, in Clarkston. Oh, thank you, sir. How can I help? Um, I mean, every time I hear from you, it's very interesting. I'm born in Bengal, and um, Bengal means it's in Calcutta and the all greater Bengal of India. And my dad was from a Maharaja family, and he never been to college. But I, every time I listen to you, the way you talk about the trees, <laughs> about the plants, it is exactly like. Like, like, remind, reminds me a lot about Dad. So th yeah. Um, and in my trees, in my garden, we have a number of trees, and each tree has a human being's name. Wow. And one tree's name was a green apple tree, and that was on my dad's name. But what happened that we have two dogs who eat everything, and oh. they are, I, I don't like animals to tie down. Sure. They are free. They eat chilies. They eat leaves. So what they do, they eat all the bark. Oh, man. Under that green apple tree. Yeah. They eat all that. And I am so worried and sad that how to bring healing to the trees. I don't know, Isaac. If, you've, if the dog has eaten all of the bark around the trunk of the tree... Uh, that's not good. That's like, you know, opening a vein on your on your arm. All your sap and, and blood comes out, and I don't know that you can bring any life back to that tree. If the dogs have eaten all the bark, I don't think the tree will survive. Oh. Oh, and that's your dad's tree. That's the tree with your dad's name on it, too. Yes. 
Yes, we put mm. the name Ishri as the name of my son. My son's name is Prithibi. It means Walt. My dad's name was Shishu. It means child, little baby. And my daughter's name is Gitanjali. It's on the book about Rabindranath. Mm. Um, um, I, I, th I think the best you can do is to protect the trees that are left from the dog. We don't want any more damage to be done. But the easiest thing to me, Isaac, would be to get some chicken wire from a hardware store and just take chicken wire and wrap it around the trunk as high as the dogs can, can reach on the trunk and keep it from chewing on the bark of the trunk. Because dogs, you know this, dogs sometimes chew things just out of boredom and just because they're young sometimes. But I would wrap the trunk of the tree with chicken wire and protect those trees from any more damage and then uh, plant another tree in honor of your dad because I just do not think these the dogs have damaged are going to come back. You can wait till April if you want to, but frankly, the best time to plant the apple trees is now. And so I think I would... Uh, examine closely that tree and if it needs to be replanted then replant it with something that i think will survive a lot better isaac thanks so much for calling we've got john in kentucky georgia kentucky georgia in kentucky who joins us on lonnie garden hey john in kentucky good morning hello thank you for taking my call you bet well i have a green lodi um apple tree dog's not eating it, and that was pretty quick thinking <laughs> yeah. right there. i was uh, perplexed for a second Anyway, look at the uh, trunk is uh, on the east side is turning brown. Um, it's cracking. I don't know whether it's cracking first and then turning brown or the other yeah. way. But and then it's uh, like kind of peeling from the uh, main, you know, from the trunk. The yeah. bark is. So what could that be? It may be something that is not visible to you right now but you may be able to discover by taking the soil away from the side of the tree that's being affected the soil? one of the the soil the dirt uh pull the dirt away from the trunk of the tree and go down six or eight inches and see how the roots around the tree are behaving next to the trunk one of the things that happens on apple trees and many other trees too is sometimes a root will take a bad turn, for lack of a better word. They'll turn and go around the base of the plant and strangle and can push against the bark of the tree, or the trunk of the tree, and cause the area above that to die because it doesn't have any circulation. So look for a strangling root is the best way to describe it. In the ground, lower than the ground level, just pull the dirt away and see if you find it. If you do, carefully cut that root away to hopefully heal the tree and let the bark grow better there. Wow, maybe a foot deep or less? Uh, less, about 10 inches would be fine. I think you'll see anything you need to see within 10 inches. All right, great. And then last question is um, kiwi vines, grape vines, basically kiwi vines, uh, yeah. cold hardy um, from all over the world. Yeah. Uh, when to fertilize? Uh, when the new growth begins. They are not budded out yet. They have they wait till easily April in Georgia. So I'm thinking wait till you got little bitty mouse ear leaves on the vines. You know how the little leaves come out, look like mouse ears. Uh, wait till then. That'll be 
probably the first of April, I would think, but it may be a little early like it is here in Georgia with the warmth and all. So even if they start coming out in mid-March, fertilize then. Give them some feeding right before the active growth begins on the kiwis. And uh, let me know in a couple of years. Let me know how those hardy kiwis do, John. I would really like to know more about them because we don't have so many people in Georgia growing the hardy kiwis. I need more information about them. Thanks for calling, John. 404-872-0750 is the number. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Today is 70 degrees the high this afternoon. Not much rain in the forecast. Maybe some tomorrow morning. Overnight lows around 50 degrees. Tomorrow, maybe 71, 72 degrees. Your full weekend forecast comes in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Steve's in Bethlehem, and Steve joins us on Lawn and Garden. Stevie, good morning. Good morning, Walter. How are you? I'm well. How can I help? So I am a lawn and garden novice, um, and I'm a recent transplant to Georgia from up north. Um, hey, welcome south, my friend. Thank you, sir. I love it here. Um, my problem is everybody in my neighborhood has uh, that Bermuda grass, and it's yeah. nice and brown right now. Right. Uh, except for me, I have uh, large patches of some other type of grass, uh, <laughs> some onions. Yeah. In my backyard, I've got some viney thing that grows on the ground. I have no idea what that is. Um, and I want to get rid of it, and I want to look like everybody else. All right, we're going to fit in with these Southerners who might look down their noses at the Yankee coming down here. All right, number one, the green grass in your Bermuda is one of two possibilities. It could be annual bluegrass or it could be fescue. Fescue normally is a lawn grass, but sometimes when it grows green in the middle of a nice brown fescue, uh, nice brown Bermuda lawn, it's, it becomes a weed in that case because it doesn't look like everything else. Either one of them can be painted out. And by that, I literally mean do not spray anything on those weeds because even though your neighbors, some of the Southerners are going to say, oh, well, you just go out there and spray some Roundup on those blue-green weeds and it'll kill them. It'll also kill your Bermuda when you have the warm-up in the spring. The Bermuda is not dormant right now. But you can take a little foam paintbrush or you can wrap a towel on the end of a rake and just spray it with some Roundup and then wipe it over the top of those green weeds you see in the Bermuda. They'll die within 10 days, I guess, and everything will be nice and brown and just like everybody else in the neighborhood. And wow. pretty much the same thing back in the back for the viney stuff in the back. I'm imagining it's probably uh, could be chickweed, could be uh, um, henbit. Possibly Creeping Charlie. If you go on my website, tell you what, Steve, since you're new to town, if you go to WalterReeves.com and just look on the plant identification part, you can submit pictures of the weed that you have, and I'll tell you or somebody else in my group will tell you what weed you have and give you some hints on how to control it. That's probably the easiest thing to do for the broadleaf viney stuff in the backyard. Thanks for calling, Steve. we got to go. It is 728 at News Talk WSB. Back to more Lawn and Garden after news.
It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's seven, <clears throat> seven clears throat, 36 degrees. <laughs> Get his tang untangled as well. It's 736 at News Talk WSB. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful and to bring you a wonderful Saturday morning where we are broadcasting live from the 20th annual North Atlanta Home Show at the Cobb Galleria. Excuse me, not the Cobb Galleria. Where is my brain right now? We're at the Infinite Energy Center in Gwinnett County. Hey, yay, over here on Sugarloaf Parkway. We'll be here at 9 o'clock this morning, and you're welcome to join us if you come to see us between now and 9 and know that the password outside is reliable, then you get to come into the show for free when the gates open at 10 o'clock this morning. 150 vendors right here under one roof. All the details about the show are online at atlantahomeshow.com. Ashley Frasca, let us give away the weekend prize pack. We are early in the hour or early in the show, and it's about time to do that. So, Ashley Frasca, think of a number between 2 and 7 to determine who wins a four-pack of tickets to an Atlanta Gladiators home game here at the Infinite Energy Arena next door and a four-packet of two-day passes to Oyster Fest. Ooh, do I get to win this or not? Oyster Fest, February 25th and 26th at the Steamhouse Lounge in Midtown Atlanta. Four pack to the Gladiators and two days to the Oyster Fest. Mm-mm-mm. Ashley Frasca, who's going to win this delicious weekend prize pack? Sounds good. How about caller number three? Caller number three, dial quickly, 404-741-0750, 404-741-0750, and you get to go to Oyster Fest. Whoa, that would be nice. Jan is in Milledgeville and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Jan, good morning. Hello. Yes, sir, what can we do for you? Um, what I'm wondering is um, uh, we lived in, in Atlanta, moved to Milledgeville, um, and it seems a little warmer here than it was there, and I'm wondering if yeah. it's too early to plant butterfly bushes. No, I don't think so. I think, Jen, if you can find them in a nursery, this would be a fine time to plant. Um, there are bunches of new ones on the market right now that have much more deep, I guess, blues and purples on the flowers, some that are more compact than others. Uh, there's a white one that's really, really fragrant right now. So if you find one in a nursery that fits your size and pocketbook, I would buy it and plant it now. All right. Well, that's basically what we were trying to figure out. As I say, we're, we're in a little different area than we yeah. were in Atlanta, and we have to rethink all of our plantings because it's totally different. <laughs> let, me, let me give you a, a, a hint about planting shrubs in general, not just necessarily about butterfly bush, but any shrub that should be planted when it comes out of the pot Many times you'll see that the roots are pretty matted right there inside the, inside the shell of the plastic pot. Be sure that you break apart those roots, that you spread them apart. You can wash the dirt off of them if you want to with a water hose. Just get the roots spread out into the surrounding soil around. It will establish so much faster if you'll do that because the roots are already sort of getting there. Um, pointed towards the surrounding native soil and they will do a lot better. And another thing you can do, Jane, if you like, is to put one of the really, really slow-release organic fertilizers, the Holly Tone, Milorganite, E.B. Stone here in Atlanta, 
but those fertilizers aren't going to be really needed until the soil warms up in May, and they'll be there right there for the butterfly bush to use, and they will make it just have lots of leaves and lots of flowers in the summer. All right, and the butterfly bush, how many hours of sun would you say? The area we're putting is pretty sunny, but I wouldn't say it's total sun. It will bloom in half-day sun, but you'll get most blooms in full sun. Sure. Okay, great. All right. Thank make you, Mil- Walter. Make Millersville a prettier place, Jan. It, Thanks for calling. Already. <laughs> All right, great. Sandy is here in Atlanta, and Sandy joins us on Lawn and Garden. Sandy, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Before my quick question on white oak, I wanted to give some ideas for your Isaac caller. Yeah, sure. About, about the dogs, it's, as a veterinarian technician, I can tell you it's extremely common for horses, dogs, and cats, especially sure. to chew on things, anything, when they're nutritionally deficient. Also, understand your animal's genetic lineage. If you keep a horse, racehorse in a mule barn, it doesn't make him a mule. And if you keep a mule in a racehorse barn, it doesn't make him a racehorse. <laughs> well so my said. Question, my question is, I was told recently that a white oak will shed bark, and I was wondering, is that true? Yes. And number two, if it is true, how can you differentiate between the normal shedding versus... Hmm. That is a great, great question, Sandy. How would you differentiate between a plant that normally sheds bark and a plant that is shedding bark um, because it's sick or dead or dying, I guess, or drought or something like that? Yeah, because the tree is just, it's dropping normal old stuff but with a lot of lichen, but it's also dropping a lot of bark, and I'm wondering. Well, let's see. I can think of... Four trees right off the top of my head that exfoliate and or exbarkiate, I guess you call it. They're not dropping leaves, they're dropping the, the bark, but we call it exfoliation. You got crepe myrtles, of course. Many crepe myrtles exfoliate the bark and it peels off during the year. So knowing that is normal is a good thing to know. Um, shagbark hickory does the same thing. River birch, of course, has the peeling bark on river birch. That's normal. White oak, yes, they do shed bark. And some of this, gosh, Sandy, some of this is just your eyeball looking at the bark and saying, is everybody else's doing the same as mine, or is mine really different from the other white oaks, other crepe myrtles or whatever in the neighborhood? If you see the the tissue, the trunk, the cambium layer and into the inner bark of the trunk, that's not normal. That's not right. A white oak is white oak, I mean, is shedding little sort of thin strips, if I can describe it that way, thin strips that go up and down the trunk and they shed a good many of those during the year, but you'll never see the inner bark underneath that strip when it shed. And last, in the fall, last year, it dropped the most enormous crop of acorns I've ever seen in my life. It was like marbles, a coat of marbles on the ground. Sure, 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 sure. And uh, that is one of those just normal, generally phenomena. Sometimes it's affected by drought. Sometimes plants that are stressed will put on a heavier crop of nuts because of the stress that was uh, present when they were when they're growing during the year. So it's possible drought had something to do with it, or it may just be the natural cycle of that particular tree. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure talking to you, Sandy. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Bye. 404-872-0750 gets you in to take Sandy's place. And Martha is here with us in Lawrenceville. Hey, Martha, good morning. Good morning. Hi, how um, can I help? Well, my question is I have a winter Daphne. I, I put it in a pot about seven, eight years ago when I bought it. Yeah. Uh, it's always flowered until last year it didn't, and so I moved it 
into the ground out of the pot last fall. And again this winter, it's got loads of blood, buds, but it doesn't have, or the flowers are not opening. But the leaves look healthy, right? The leaves yes. look uh, nice and green and full and horizontal yes. and all that. Yes, they're, they seem to be fine. It looks fine. It's just that the buds did not open last year or now this year. The silence that you hear is the silence of the gears and the marbles rattling around in my brain thinking, what would cause a Daphne that's otherwise healthy? When they're unhealthy, yeah, the buds sometimes don't open because it's about to die. Uh, but yours looks healthy, and so the bud should certainly open up. It's been moved to the ground. That's not a big deal. The plant should be acclimated to its new environment, and the bud should open up normally. So far, the gears and the marbles have not found a good answer for you. Martha, maybe some listener has an idea here. Why would the Daphne not open the buds for two years running? Why would that be? If you have an answer for that, you can Twitter me at Ask Walter, even though you're not asking Walter anything. You can give me an answer at Ask Walter, or you can call the show at 404-872-0750 and let me know what you think. But you don't think it's it's a case of fertilizing or anything like that? I don't think so. If it is a healthy-looking Daphne, you know what a healthy-looking Daphne looks like. No wilt and no browning and things that no. get in there when the Daphne has root rot. No, I don't know. All I can say is, well, maybe next year. Maybe it'll be better next time around. I don't have a good answer for you, Martha. All right. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. I am, too, because there's not many questions that I don't have an answer for that I can't no. make up something that's the situation, but I don't can't think of anything here to come straight to my head. No, I can't. All right. Well, thank you anyway. Thanks for calling. And if you find something out, Martha, if in the next two or three weeks they do open up, that would be nice to know in two or three weeks to reassure me that it did recover. And if it gets wilt and dies, call me in a month and say, you know, it was sick and we didn't know it. It died, and that's why the buds didn't open up. So do let me keep me updated on this. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thanks for calling, Martha. 404-872-0750 gets you in. We have a little bit of time right here. If you can get it done really quickly, Murray, we can get you in. Murray's in Sandy Springs and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Yeah, hello. Okay. Hey, Murray. Good morning. Yeah. What you got? Yeah. Um, I have five maple trees that were planted years ago. Um, yeah. Well, I said they were planted when they built the house. That would have been 18 years, and they were really, yeah. really tiny. Uh, and they've gotten really big and started putting a lot of stuff into the pool. In fact, one of the biggest <laughs> one is maybe like four or five inches thick, you know, yeah, and it's getting yeah, kind of, uh, it's going to be expensive, I think, to, to cut them down. I'm wondering if now's the right time, because it looks sure. like we might have an early spring, and I want to, you know, get it done before they start greening up. Yeah, the tree companies, whoever you contact to do the job, would really appreciate doing it now when the leaves are not on the tree, because it makes it just that much heavier to have sap and leaves on the tree. It's a little easier to maneuver the limbs as they come out of the tree. So, yeah, let's do it now just out of consideration for the company. Yeah, and would I just cut them down? I mean, I don't want to spend a, a, too much money, but, uh, you know, I want it to look good. I mean, just cut yeah. the, cut it as low to the ground as, you know, they can. Or Yeah, if they can cut it low to the ground, if it's too close to the pool to do a, put a stump grinder in there, at the very least you could cover it with pine straw or something just to mulch and make it look nice and presentable around the pool. You could do that. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a lot of pine straw there. Yeah, sure. Pine we do trees that. and everything yeah. around. So that'll cut down on some of them. Unfortunately, uh, I've got a lot of tall trees not too far yeah. from the pool uh, in the back right. there, and that only cut down on the sun when it's in the late afternoon. When I, you know, but uh, uh, they put a lot of stuff. And nothing I can do that is on neighbors' yards and stuff. Yeah. So there, all right, well, uh, cut it, cut her down, and make the stump look pretty. And end of story. The pool is ready to go in the summertime. Yeah. How much extra cost would it be to get the you know the stumps out of the ground? And what would I have to do afterward? Would I have Usually to bring in dirt? fifty to fifty to a hundred dollars, depending on how much concrete is around it and other factors that you know they'd have to eyeball the situation to tell you. But fifty to a hundred dollars is about right for a stump grinding. And the biggest thing you can do, frankly, is just to rake as many of those chips as you can away and out and remove them because whatever you try to grow in that spot, if you leave the chips in the ground, that plant that is trying to grow there afterwards is going to have a real hard time growing with all the chips in the ground mixed up taking nitrogen away from the plant so just rake, rake as many chips as you possibly can think of a couple of years of not great growth of any grass or perennials or shrubbery you put in that spot but too dry to rake it up real good and the stump grinding of course gets rid of the stump completely you don't even have to worry about mulching it after that thanks for calling murray it is 749 we'll be back after this this is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves and the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. It's going to be a pretty pleasant day this afternoon, up in around 70 degrees this afternoon. Not much chance of rain, sunny all afternoon. Tomorrow, the high is a little bit higher, maybe 71, 72. A light chance for rain, maybe 20 to 30 percent tomorrow morning. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. We've got Gene on the line. Gene's out in Marietta and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Gene. Good morning. Good morning, Walter. Thank you for taking my call. I have a quick question. I planted three Miss Huff lantanas in 2012, and they're kind of small, medium, and large, but they've gotten gigantic, and they've totally taken over my walkway, and I was wondering if I could experiment with possibly moving one of them, and if I can, um, which one would you pick, and can I divide it when I move it? Because some of them have like 50 stalks on them. Oh, sure. And you're yeah. cutting them back. Is that right, Gene? You're cutting yes, them back? Yes, I did what you said. Good. I cut them down to like 12 inches every good, year. Good, um, Which one to move? Uh, it's up to you. I'm not sure the difference between the small, the medium, and the large would make much difference in success in moving it. So, honestly, whichever one was easiest for me to get to is the one I would move. And okay. the largest one, you may find that... Dividing isn't quite the right word, but when the limbs, as you know, when they sort of droop down and touch the ground after a year or so, they'll root in place, and you end up having two, three, maybe even four plants in this one area where you initially had just the one you put in. So on your large one, wait for sprouts in the spring and see what you see. You may see that there are two or three plants in there, and one of them could be dug up and moved to some other place or given to a neighbor or something like that. Right. Okay. All right. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Walter. I appreciate it. I will tell you that my mother's lantana this year was easily five, maybe closer to six feet high, and 
10 feet wide. <laughs> right. That's about what mine is, too. I mean, yes. they're absolutely wonderful. The butterflies, the hummingbirds. Yeah, the hummingbirds love it. And you know, one more thing, uh, Jean, since you're cutting it back and we'll do this every year, I think fertilizing is probably the better thing to do than not fertilizing, even though I know fertilizing means it's going to be bigger and bigger and bigger every year. But still, you'll get more blooms if you fertilize every year because of the uh, amount of foliage you're removing every year from the plant. So do fertilize. Okay, so what do I put on? 10 10 10 or yeah, is there 10 10 10? Any, any landscape fertilizer would be fine. So 10 10 10, if you can find some, throw five or six handfuls over on the lantana. <laughs> Seven feet high, 20 feet wide. You'll have the world's biggest lantana plant. Thanks for calling, Gene. It is 758. We'll be back after news.